This is Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me, I'm Alex Bennett. And we're going to call this episode, I Start to Talk. Very simple title, very simple meaning, and you'll find out all about that in a few moments. As you remember, we were in Houston, Texas. I was doing my British accent. I was James Bond with my morning show, and uh, it was all going great. I mean, the ratings were high, and uh, uh, I was getting high. I was learning how to use drugs. I was fucking my brains out in spite of the fact that I was married. Oh, I was not a good boy in Houston, Texas. I really wasn't. But man, was I having a good time. You know, I got to tell you, there are a few things about Houston, Texas in that era. And this is um, 1965, 66 and 67. It was still kind of a cow town. And yet, because as I've said before, NASA moved in, it also started getting culture. It got an opera house. It got a symphony hall. It got all kinds of things that uh, class and education uh, brought with it, and that was NASA. So Houston was kind of this hodgepodge, uh, kind of seeing the days of uh, the wild catter oil guy, the cattle baron and everything, kind of eh, going the way of the Old West. You know, Texas was only a few uh, years removed from sidearms, so people still carried a lot of guns, and on Saturday nights there were killings and murders, and it, mainly because people went to bars and just got drunk, and then they had a gun with them, so they pulled it out and they shot somebody, and uh, it was uh, it was in that respect kind of hellacious, but uh, it was also interesting that I got to see. The last vestiges of these of these oil barons and these uh, uh, cattle guys, and in strange ways, I mentioned in the last episode a, a guy who owned the Court Club, and I couldn't remember his name, and I looked it up, and it was Glenn McCarthy. Glenn McCarthy was the character, the Jet Rank in Giant, the part played by James Dean, was based upon. Uh, he was an oil wildcatter, and as the years went on, he built the Shamrock Hotel, which was the biggest, I think, the biggest hotel in the United States. And he owned a place called the Court Club, and uh, he, uh, you know, he was very much like the James Dean character. It was just this yokel who managed to stick a stick in the ground, and oil came up, and before you know it, old Jed's a millionaire. Uh, so you had those kinds of guys in Houston, Texas at this time. And one of the things that kind of amazed me were the, uh, uh, this, this kind of strange situation that existed with the old Texas and the new Texas. And one of the things about the old Texas was, let's say you owned a restaurant and a guy came in and he was, uh, he had the cow dung on his shoes, and uh, he had dirt all over his jeans. Uh, would you let him into your restaurant? Well, you probably wouldn't. But in Texas, you did. Because in many cases, that guy could buy and sell you 20 million times over. Uh, it was just really a strange kind of world. And, and it all coalesced in a thing called the Bill Williams, I think it was Bill Williams, uh, Capon Dinner. Now, I was asked by my boss, would you go and be 
not a not a uh, auctioneer, but a, just a, you 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 went to this thing and you kind of worked it by going table to table and taking the bids and things like that, and they had broadcast celebrities uh, uh, do that role at the Bill Williams Capon dinner. And at the Bill Williams Capon dinner, they raised money, I think, for the Texas Children's Hospital, which was a very nice cause. And what they would do is they would auction things off. Uh, and, and, and believe me, when I tell you it was some horrendous stuff, I remember particularly a pair of lamps where the base of the lamps were cowboy boots, and they went for like $5,000. Just simply because these guys with their money go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll spend 5000 on that. Hey, Bob wants, uh, wants those. I want those, right? I mean, it was, it was all in the name of, of uh, going to the Texas Children's Hospital. So, you know, you couldn't really say that it was a, a disgusting display of wealth. But in a way, it was uh, it was a disgusting display of wealth. And I remember this one particular situation. There were two cattle guys, and what they brought up on stage was a calf. I'm not kidding you. They brought up a calf to uh, uh, auction off. And there were these two guys, two cattle guys, and they were literally rivals of each other. And this guy wanted to, one guy wanted to buy the calf for his son. And the other one just wanted to buy it so the other guy wouldn't get it. And they started bidding on this calf. And by the time it was over, it went to the guy with the kid who wanted to buy the calf for his kid for $30,000. Now, I got news for you. I don't know much about livestock, but I'll tell you, I don't know of a calf, okay, that's worth $30,000, but I saw it right there. I mean, I gasped at just the promiscuous spending of money. These guys had so much money, they knew in their lifetime they would never be able to spend it all, and so they would just do things like this and spend it somewhat promiscuously. But this is what Texas was like at that time. I also remember... Um, uh, uh, these characters in town. Do you know that there were actually two women, the two richest women in Houston, Texas at this time were the Hog Sisters, Ima and Yura. I am not kidding you. They were the two richest women in town. They were the Hog Sisters, Ima and Yura Hog. What parent does this to their children? Well, I guess parents who had a lot of money because Ima and Yura Hogg never had to bear the burden of the birthright of their name because nobody would give them a bad time about it because Ima and Yura were rich as all fuck. And so you had Ima and Yura Hogg. And then there was another character by the name of Judge Roy Hoffines. Judge Roy Hoffines was a, a judge who also seemed to be rather wealthy and built, uh, I think it was a former judge by the time I got there, built the Astrodome. Now, when I got there, the Astrodome was only maybe a year old, okay? Uh, and uh, Judge Roy Hoffines was the lead money and the lead owner of the Houston Astrodome. The reason they built the Astrodome is they got a Major League Baseball team, the Astros. 
And if you've ever been to Houston, and you've ever been to Houston in the summer, you'd rather be in Saudi Arabia. I'm telling you, it, it gets so humid that you just can't sit outdoors. So what they decided to do was build an indoor baseball park. Now this was when there were no other indoor baseball parks. All baseball parks were outdoor baseball parks. And in fact, the first year the Astros played in an outdoor baseball park that nobody came to because it was too fucking hot. So Hoffines builds this thing called the Houston Astronome. And it is a domed baseball park. And you go in there and it's, it's gorgeous. And it's got a dome over it. There's just one problem with the dome. The dome was this lattice work, right, uh, of, of girders going every which way. I mean, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful arrangement. But if a ball went up in the air and then a catcher tried to find the ball, he couldn't see it because of all the girders and everything else and the sunlight hitting the girders and so on. And it was impossible to play baseball in the Astrodome because of the dome. But it was nice, air-conditioned comfort. You just sat in there and you just, ooh, it was really nice, you know? Um, so um, they had to figure out what to do because here was the problem. You couldn't play a game with these girders up there. So what they did is they painted in the windows. So now the girders didn't matter if the girders were up there because the light wasn't shining through and causing this kind of lattice work thing. You could see a ball now. But there was another problem. The grass started dying because it wasn't getting any sunlight. So they had to figure out something to do. And so Roy Hoffines went to Monsanto. And Monsanto had just invented this thing, which was phony grass. And it was called Monsanto turf or whatever. And Hoffine said, uh, I want to buy it and put it in my park. He said, only we're going to change the name of it. We're going to call it AstroTurf. And to this day, uh, they refer usually to those uh, phony grass uh, fields as AstroTurf. And it was AstroTurf. And uh, I, I have the, the distinction of being one of the first people ever to walk on AstroTurf because I remember Judge Roy Hoffines uh, decided to hold this little gathering in which he invited all the people from uh, the press in uh, Houston, Texas to come to the Astrodome because he had to show them something absolutely new and different. And uh, what did he show them? He showed them AstroTurf. And we got to walk on it. And it felt like grass. It kind of felt like stiff grass. But they started playing on the AstroTurf, and that saved the Astrodome. And that also saved the Houston Astros. And it solved the problem. And I think to, to I think they tore the, uh, the Astrodome down. I think its days are numbered. And they're back outdoors again. I don't know how people sit in that, in that humidity. I mean, I, I used to like to say that when I moved to Houston, Texas, I said goodbye to ever having a crease in my pants, okay? Because it's so humid. But they have an outdoor baseball park now. So, you know, go figure, all right? So that was pretty much my life in Houston, Texas. I loved it. It had a flavor that was just wonderful. 
I mean, but it was shit kicking. It was shit kicking Texas. In fact, Texas today is not like that. Okay, that Texas is long gone. You know, the Texas of Edna Ferber's giant, uh, gone. You know, the Texas that you used to used to think about Texas, people talking like this all the time, gone. But man, back in those days, I am telling you, it was just amazing, just amazing. Um. But anyway, I'm working at this radio station. I'm doing the morning show. I'm doing this James Bond thing. And, and I know that it's, it's you know, its days are going to be numbered because uh, I had slowly lost the British accent, uh, you know. And people still thought I had one, as I said in the last episode, because in Texas, if you didn't talk like this, then you sounded British to them. Uh, so I... <laughs> I, uh, uh, I I saw the writing on the wall, and I knew also I saw the writing on the wall with radio. You know, I had been a top 40 disc jockey. And when in those days you were a top 40 disc jockey, you were expected to do a show, tell jokes, have bits, have shticks, maybe have voices you do, things like that. But out on the West Coast, uh, there was a guy by the name of uh, Bill Drake, who was a programmer, who came up with this idea of just having the jocks really shut up and read cards. And so they did very short things between songs, but they didn't do bits, and they read them. All, they read whatever they were going to say off off of these uh, these cards. And I said, you know something. And they the stations, by the way, were big, huge hits. So that's the worst part because that means that everybody's going to try and do the same thing. So I said to myself, this is, you know. The, the top 40 radio is not where I want to be if I want to be a personality. Where do I want to be if I want to be a personality? And I said, well, talk radio. And talk radio wasn't a really big deal back then. Um, you had uh, personalities like Joe Pine out on the West Coast, um, Les Crane working out of San Francisco, later got a national TV show. Um, you know, you, and and they they were pretty sensational where they were. But uh, it wasn't like you had talk stations, okay? Uh, and uh, But I decided that I wanted to go into talk because in talk, you know, they really can't tell you what to do. There, there's no liner cards. You're on the air, and, and once you're on the air, you're, you're flying solo, you know? And they're not going to drop in and suddenly say, don't do that and don't do this and... By the way, in the next break, uh, don't do this. In other words, I saw the writing on the wall. Get out of music radio. Get into talk. Well, what happened was at KILT and at Cliff in Dallas, which was their Dallas station, um, Gordon McClendon decided he wanted to start a talk show at night. And uh, he wanted to put it on and, and, and have it be like very contentious. You know, he had a whole idea about just, you know, be mean, be nasty, be, you know, uh, don't let kids on because kids listen to these radio stations, but don't let kids on and say you're too young to be on the air and all of that and be really nasty and mean and so on. And I went into my boss. My boss, by the way, again, this is Houston, Texas. A Jewish guy talked like bias and was named Dickie Rosenfeld. So anyway, I went into Dickie and I and I and I said, Dickie, gotta have a talk. And he said, What? I said, I hear Gordon's gonna try and do a talk show here. And he said, Yeah. 
And he had his doubts about it. He said, yeah. I said, I want that show. He said, but you're a hit in the morning. You're, you know, you're making us a lot of money in the morning. You've got the numbers and everything like that. Why should we put you on at night, you know, where, uh, where, where you're not going to do us all that much good? And I said, because if you don't, I'm going to leave. I said, I want that show or I leave. You know, I'll go find some place to go do talk radio, but I want to switch over to talk and I want you to, uh, to give me that show. And so they gave me that show. And I was uh, billed as Alex Alexander Bennett. See, I had to come up with a name. See, before James Bond, when I was working at those other radio stations, I was Jerry Bennett. All right? Isn't that terrible? Because I liked, I was a big fan of Jerry Lewis when I first took that name. And I said, Jerry Bennett. Okay, I took my first name, I took Jerry. And now, uh, then I was James Bond. Okay, so that, that, I had to be James Bond. Okay, so I became James Bond. Um, now I had to come up with another name. And um, I believe, it, maybe my father died yet or hadn't he died? And I want to talk about that at some point here. I think he died while I was in Houston. And uh, I uh, kept thinking, I think it was after I took the name, before, uh, after he died that I took the name. But I'm not quite sure. I don't remember that much. See, I mean, years do pass and you do forget stuff. Yeah, at least you forget the, 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 uh, uh, the you know, what, what, what thing came after another. But in any event, my father's, uh, I tried to think of a first name. I didn't like Jerry. I didn't want that anymore. And my father's name was Alexander. And I said, well, why don't I, in honor of him, why, do I, why don't I take his first name and I'll take my first name and the two together are Alexander Bennett or Alex Bennett. Okay? And that's where I first came up with the name Alex Bennett. Only we, they, they introduced me, as you will hear here, as Alexander Bennett, and I was the man you love to hate. Now, there was an actor years earlier by the name of Eric von Stroheim, and that was his slogan, the man you love to hate. Uh, but in, in any event, we were very, uh, very happy to uh, uh, take that name because it had my father's name and it had my name, and it was perfect, okay? And so I became Alexander Bennett, the man you love to hate. And I started doing talk for the first time. And the rules were be mean, be nasty, be contentious, be controversial. Uh, um, and uh, most of all, don't let any kids on. <laughs> and this is how it resolved itself. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the client, the station, or the moderator. And are sometimes offered to stimulate discussion on topics of vital interest to the public. He's here, live and in person. The talk of Houston, the man you love to hate, Alexander Bennett. And now, here's Alex. Good evening, Houston. This is Alex Bennett with a program of discussion and thought. Alex Bennett. Do, do, do you think marijuana should be legalized? I'm not here to answer questions. I'm only here to moderate. Alex Bennett. 
something to say, sir. We will. Do you have something to say? Yeah. Okay. What? I'd like to tell you some kind of a nut down there. What kind of a nut is it that'll call up this program and yell like you are, sir? Huh? What kind of nut is it that'll call well, up a program like you are? Well, I heard you couldn't hear. I wanted you to hear me. Well, what were you talking about? Huh? What were you talking about? Well, I heard you talking on the radio last night. You couldn't hear nobody, so I thought I'd talk loud where you could hear me. Oh, you were the guy on Ghosts. Huh? Were you the guy in Ghosts? No, I wasn't on those Ghosts. Well, what were you talking about? No, I just wanted to call you up and tell you all to give people a chance to talk to you. We'll let people talk when they have something to say, sir, and you've got nothing to say, so I'm not going to talk to you. Alex Bennett. How you doing? Alex Bennett. Uh, can we get your program on FM? Uh, no, you can't. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Alex Bennett. Yeah, man, I was listening to J. Edward Payne this morning when he got fired. Yeah. And, uh, I believe, I just... Turn it on, and when he was talking to the station manager, it seems that he doesn't agree uh, with your show, and he didn't want to play your uh, the tapes from your show. Mm-hmm. And he tried to call the station manager, and his phone was off the hook because he was taking the shower. I will, I will agree with one thing: that a man can think anything he wants to of this show, but when he is in the employ of a radio station, he has to do what it tells him to do until. He talks it over with the management. Then if he doesn't like it, then he can quit or he can stay around or do anything that he wants to. Now, I, I don't know a thing about the situation that went on this morning. And far more than that, I can't care. Uh, it, it's, uh, I just don't know a thing about it. And uh, I, I just can't say anything more on it. If he was fired for not playing something, he deserved to get fired. Because once you take a radio station policy into your own hands, uh, then the whole thing gets out of hand to those people who control a radio station. Did I explain myself thoroughly enough? Yes, sir. Just one more thing. Yes. You've been hanging up on everybody? 
I haven't met, I met, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, want, I, want to get something, I want to get something straight with you, Phil, and I'm not going to hang up on you. But I want to say that for the flow of this program, some people have absolutely nothing to say. You would sit there and get bored to tears if I let everybody on the air have their full say until they ran out of breath. Secondly, when I get punks phoning me up and playing games on the phone when they should be in bed sucking their thumb, I get a little irritated at them. We're trying to run a discussion program here talking about the problems of the day. We're trying maybe not necessarily to solve them, but to bring them out into the open and have some open discussion. We can't do it when we've got people playing games. And I hope that the, 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 the kids who have been phoning us up tonight will show the intelligence that I believe that they have and, uh, and start acting like human beings instead of a bunch of children, which we're beginning to think on this program they are. Do I make myself clear? Yeah. Okay, good night. Alex Bennett. Alex Bennett. I just think. Hello. Hello. You're on. What do you want to talk about? Oh, I don't want. To, I just want to tell you. I think you're great. Keep up the good work, and I just appreciate your current dissertation on punk kids. All right. Well, listen. Uh, I hope your neighbors don't hate you for what you just said. All right. They won't. <laughs> Alex Bennett. Alex Bennett. You're too young, son. Hi, Mark. How old are you? Eighteen. Eighteen. You don't sound eighteen. Well, I am. Yeah, sure. What do you want to talk about? What worldly thing does an 18-year-old who is really 12 want to talk about? You think I'm 12, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm not. You just turned 18. That's right. All right. What do you want to talk about? I'll, huh? go, I'll go along with you. See how honest I am? Okay. Uh, I think you're stupid. Everybody to their own opinion. Well, you really wouldn't be if you wouldn't hang up on people all the time. What? Didn't you just hear what I said a uh, couple of minutes ago about why we don't let people keep going on? We're hanging up on them because they're through with what they've said. You get bored to tears. I don't, look, I don't want to even discuss this with you. My name is Alex Bennett. The number to call, Jackson 6 3461. Jackson 6 3461. God, listening to that just makes me wonder how I managed to continue and talk. Um, but that was my first attempt to talk. And you know something? It was terrible. It was just horrible. It was just ghastly. But it also had a 65 rating. Now, do you know what that means, a 65 rating, folks? That means that 65% of all the people listening to a radio program in Houston, Texas, and I think we went on at 10 o'clock at night, 10 to midnight, um, were listening to me. Yes, 65%. I had a 65 rating. I've never surpassed that rating. I don't know anybody who's ever gotten a rating that high, but we got that with that stupid show with me yelling at kids going, you're too young, you're too young. And really, no conversation really at all going on. But when it did, I was a conservative. I was for the war in Vietnam. I later changed my mind uh, because I had a cousin who sat me down and said, let me tell you about that war in Vietnam. But I was against that. I did an interview with Timothy Leary in which I assailed him for his use of drugs. And he beat the pants off of me in the discussion. Um, I was kind of conservative because that, it, I just saw that as the way to be, I guess. 
But as I did the drugs and as I talked to people like my cousin and as I started to see the world around me, I started to kind of radicalize. But I never radicalized with this program. That was later on. That I, I'll, uh, Later on, you'll find out what really radicalized me. But anyway, the talk show was uh, doing great guns. Uh, there's one problem with the talk show. Because of its controversial nature, because of the nastiness of its host, they couldn't get any advertisers for it. That's right. No ad, Zilcho, no advertisers. So consequently, I get a call from Dickie Rosenfeld and brings me down to the office and says, oh, it's my, 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 my partner. That's, he would you call you that? He said, uh, I'm going to put you back on in the morning where you can make us some money. <laughs> And so I went back on in the morning where they could make some money. But I had had that, that taste of doing talk, okay? And I couldn't stop it. I knew that uh, doing what I, the top 40 stuff was, uh, I'd be out of this business in a year or two, you know, because it, I wouldn't want to do the kind of radio that it was becoming. And so I started looking around the country for other jobs, and I started auditioning for other jobs. And uh, finally, uh, I got one. I got one just in time, because I left town just in time, before I was going to be framed by the cops. Ah, what's that all about? Well, we'll find out next time. And this has been Life in the Passing Lane. An audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett.